This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about solutions for folks that have tax or other government debts. Uh, learning some key facts about options to manage government debts like outstanding taxes and student loans. Dealing with that unmanageable balance on the government debt like overdue taxes or lo student loans presents some pretty ch big challenges compared to other consumer debts. But Blair is going to highlight some of the key facts that we can be aware of in dealing with government debt and what options we have to get partial or even full debt forgiveness. Blair, in your work as a licensed insolvency trustee, there must be some common types of government debts that you keep seeing uh, week after week that people are, are trying to deal with and you can give them some help with. Oh, certainly, Elaine. And, you know, it's not everybody that comes in the door owes CRA, but the majority of people that are self-employed, um, you know, when you're running your own business and things get tough, you know, it's often amounts owing to CRA can suddenly become the last to get paid. So it's quite a, you know, a strong proportion of the client base that comes in that does have some tax debt. Uh, but what's really good for people to know is tax debt is a debt like any other and that it does have a solution. It can be dealt with uh, working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So the most common types of debts that we see, they're generally under the umbrella of Canada Revenue Agency and CRA um, does collect for a number of different government programs, but the main categories are things like personal income taxes, which is relatively straightforward. You file your taxes, there's a balance owing, you're unable to clear that um, by, the, by the deadline in the year owed. Uh, GST debt from your business. Um, this can often be quite significant because, you know, 5% of your sales, you should be holding in trust and sending back to the government. But oftentimes when things get tough, um, that can be one of the first things that can stop happening. Um, student loans, whether it's a national student loan or provincial student loan, um, CRA often handles the collections for those as well. Um, medical services plan, so MSP, which we all know here in BC, although it stopped in January of 2020, if there was a balance owing, that balance was not written off and CRA could be collecting for that you know, at, at present now. And owing CRA money, I don't need to tell anybody who's owed CRA money, it's not something you'd want, it's not a situation you'd want to be in because CRA does have very strong collection powers, which we'll talk about, but they also charge compounding daily interest on unpaid latest balances owing. Um, and if you just decide not to file your tax return because you know you owe them money, um, that can be even worse because when you do eventually file, um, they're going to hit you with late filing penalties and they might even double those penalties if it's not your first time filing a return late. So generally, CRA has a lot of recourse, a lot of ability uh, to make things challenging. Uh, but again, there is hope you can deal with a tax debt. And I want to throw in, I haven't told this story for a very long time, Blair, but even if you're dealing with somebody's estate and you think, mm -hmm. oh, well, CRA can't possibly want to go after me because I'm looking after my mother's affairs or, or whatever, uh, they do. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of leeway. It's like, you owe this money. It's compounding interest as we speak. You need to get this paid ASAP. Uh, it was quite a surprise to me. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in some cases, you'll find, you know, <laughs> 
depending on the day and the person, they can be very reasonable or others. They're not too interested in circumstances. This is the obligation that has to be met. And if you're administering on behalf of someone else, you could be liable if you haven't done things correctly. So it, totally. it can be a very challenging situation for sure. Yeah. Even though lots of other people will bend over backwards because, you know, you're dealing with an estate of, uh, you know, a parent or whatever. Yeah. Man, lost, CRA yeah. doesn't always care. <laughs> Any, just yeah. a little word of advice. Okay. So what are some of the other kinds of challenges that come up for people dealing with these types of debts, Blair? Well, for any of our regular listeners, they would know, you know, we often say not all debts are created equal. Um, you know, the dollar is a dollar theoretically in what you owe, but certain creditors do have extra powers and certain different parameters. So the first off with tax debt is you have to know there's no limitation period on tax debt. It doesn't expire. It doesn't go away. You can't wait out CRA uh, whenever you're, uh, you know, if you leave the country, when you come back, that that's still going to be there. So it's not the case as it would be with a consumer debt, you know, a MasterCard or a Visa. You could say, okay, for two years, I'm just going to wait and see, are these people going to sue me? And if two years goes by and they haven't sued me, the debt is now beyond the limitations period. Nothing like that happens with tax debt. So it is something, you know, it's pay now or pay later. And usually it's a whole lot better to face it earlier on before it's compounded and, and increased due to penalties and other things like that. Uh, but the second part of that is so the debt doesn't go away. But as I alluded to earlier, the means that CRA has to collect on that debt um, is enhanced beyond any other creditor. So way more power than the banks, the payday loan companies or anything. Um, CRA has the right to proceed with very severe collection actions virtually overnight. Uh, most common creditors, so again, a bank or a credit card company, they have to apply to court, hire a lawyer, spend a bunch of costs, give you notice of everything. With CRA, all of those steps can be skipped. You don't even have to know, get, receive any notice that your wages might be taken on your paycheck of next week or that your house might have a charge registered against it. CRA can do those things with very little notice towards you. Now, that's not their default. Usually, they're going to start trying to work with you, having good communication. But if you go silent, you could expect perhaps that some of these significant collection activities could happen against you. Uh, what CRA can also do, with, which other creditors can't, so again, a typical bank or credit card company, they can go to, you know, your HR department and start to get your wages if they've sued you. But let's say you're self-employed. There's not much a typical credit credit card company could do even if they've sued you and you're self-employed. With CRA, they can go direct to your clients and say any money that your clients owe you has to be paid directly to CRA. That's called a requirement to pay. And essentially that chokes a business's revenue source, right? revenue off at the source and often puts people out of business. So that's very drastic. Um, they can also garnish or seize pension and EI benefits. So CPP and OAS, you may have heard that can never be taken to pay debt. Well, it can't be taken for consumer debt, but the government can decide they're not going to pay you anything unless you start to pay them some money, which I've seen before. Uh, they can start to intercept rental or lease income from your tenants. Uh, and they can even start to seize things from your bank account, uh, put charges on your home against investment proceeds. So there's a lot of things things uh, CRA can do that other creditors just don't have the power to do. So that really speaks to the good idea to, if you're in this situation, to take some action with a licensed insolvency trustee and, and get this handled, or at least start the process to get it handled. And Sands and Associates is the place to go. The number 1-800-661-3030 or their website, sands-trustee.com. Uh, if you or someone you know is struggling with owing the government money, that's the very best step that you can take is uh, talk to a licensed insolvency trustee at Sands and Associates. Um, Blair, can and, you take us? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, Elena, and what's what's really important about that, too, is if you do take action early, you can essentially forestall or stop CRA from being able to take any of these extreme remedies against you. So when I mentioned, you know, they can seize your bank account or freeze your bank account, uh, we sometimes have people running through our doors. Okay, CRA has frozen my bank account. We're saying, okay, this is their first step. What they might do next is they might put a charge against your house, for example. So let's start to take some action now so we can stop that from happening, because if they put a charge against your house, it's just like another mortgage being on title. It's not a mortgage they're going to require you to pay um, or to you know to, to make regular payments against. Um, but when it's time for you to sell your home or if you try to refinance your mortgage, CRA is going to get paid out before you receive any funds. So it is important you take action uh, to deal with the CRA debt before they start to put charges against title or start to freeze your bank accounts. Some things can be undone, but it's always better to do it before they've taken that action against you. So since we're right there, what are some of the kinds of options that that somebody could take uh, to resolve this debt issue and that you can help them take to resolve their debt? Yeah, well, first off, it's for people to understand they do have options because a lot of the times, even today, uh, people come in and they'll tell me about all of their debts and it's almost towards the end of the meeting. They'll say, oh, yeah, I've also got this tax debt. But I know you guys can't help with that. So at least dealing with the other debt, I'll be able, better able to pay the taxes. It's not that case at all. There are means to eliminate, to reduce, to negotiate, um, to get out of government debt, essentially, for what you can afford to repay. It's not meant to be a life sentence when you owe the government money. Uh, there's two remedies you can work with a licensed insolvency trustee to implement. Uh, they're essentially the only two remedies short of taking the government to court or having, you know, very long acrimonious fights with them um, trying to get the debt, um, you know, if you say it's, it's not a valid debt, but if it is a valid debt, there's two ways you can deal with it. One is to do a consumer proposal and a consumer proposal. It would consolidate all of your debt, uh, put it together into a single monthly payment and give you a monthly payment you could afford. That's usually based on repaying a portion of the debt. So it could be as low as 15 or 20 cents on the dollar. It could be as high as 80 or 90 cents on the dollar. It really depends on the circumstances, but often it is a significant reduction. And if the tax debt is so severe, it could be, I've seen hundreds of of thousands or even millions of dollars, you know, doing a proposal to pay back a percentage of that just might not be possible. But filing for bankruptcy, if you're unable to make a consumer proposal, bankruptcy is your other option. And depending on your circumstances, it could be over in as little as nine months for someone who's never been bankrupt before and is low income, uh, their bankruptcy could finish in as little as nine months. So sometimes people go from thinking there's no solution at all to this tax debt, it's going to be around my neck for the rest of my life to, oh my gosh, I could be free of this in nine months or if I choose to do a repayment plan, it could take a little bit longer, but I avoid the bankruptcy. So people should have hope as dark as it can seem in the moment when CRA is threatening or has already seized assets or income, you can recover by doing either a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. And again, the only people that are going to be able to do that with you and for you is a licensed insolvency trustee. Now, we've got just about two minutes left. Blair, do you want to talk about, um, and I think this is a really good question, and I don't know if we've covered this question before, but does getting debt forgiveness on uh, through bankruptcy or consumer proposal from government debt, does it impact a person's ability to access uh, government benefits later once it's all looked after? Like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, really good question, Elaine. Um, and the answer is no, it doesn't impact your ability. So you can still be eligible and apply for student loans, for EI benefits, emergency benefits, housing benefits, pensions, and more uh, following a government debt being included or written off as part of your bankruptcy or consumer proposal. Sometimes people are reluctant. They'll say, well, if I write off this government debt, are they just going to cut off my pension for the rest of my life? Absolutely not. I've never seen that happen. It will not happen. So uh, just because you deal with your government debt shouldn't cost compromise your ability to have government support in the future. And just very finally here, I know we're down to the last about minute or so, but a lot of people are calling us about CERB overpayment. So ah. the emergency response benefit, uh, if you were not entitled to it or you were or whatever, and government's asking for money back, it has now been clarified. Absolutely. That is a debt a trustee can assist with. So if you've got a CERB overpayment, speak to a licensed insolvency trustee. It can be dealt with as part of either a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy. We're starting to see more and more of those and people are very scared but to us it's just any other debt and the government has said they don't intend to try to keep this outside of the insolvency system it is part of debts that people can get a fresh start on if they need to okay and again a licensed insolvency trustee is going to be the only one that's going to be able to help you with this and come up with a strategy and take this on and get to that debt-free position uh sands and associates their website is so good it's got so much good information so many questions and really good answers thoughtful answers easy to understand answers uh sands-trustee.com is the website or you can just give them a call and get that appointment 1-800-661 3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. Uh, we don't always talk about it, but boy, oh boy, is it ever a good one. Uh, there's just so many good pages filled with great common sense questions and then really easy to understand answers to all of that. It's not confusing. It's a, it's very clarifying if you haven't had a chance to, to take a look at their website. Uh, and speaking of clarifying, that's what this segment's all about. Myths and myths and misunderstandings about debt and debt solutions. We're going to separate a bit of fact from fiction. Uh, did you, do you know what you're really committing to when you try to get a cosigner for a loan or how to protect your RRSPs from creditors? Uh, maybe a chance to understand when a lender can sue you. Well, that's what Blair's going to talk about. He's going to debunk some common myths and misunderstood facts around personal debt and consumer debt solutions in this country. So, Blair, uh, such a great topic, and we're going to do this in two parts, just a heads up for folks. Can you start by clarifying some general debt myths that we all seem to have confusion about or hold on to believing that they're true? Yeah, well, the first one is that all debt is bad. You know, sometimes it's said that debt is a four-letter word, and you know, there's nothing positive about it. And in many cases, debt can overtake your life and cause a lot of difficulties. But, you know, debt that's undertaken with the expectation of a future benefit um, or a return can be considered an example of good debt. So something like a mortgage or a student loan, you know, ideally that education is going to bring you benefits. Ideally, that house is going to give you a place to, to live and hopefully grow in value over time. Now, certainly I've seen people that have well overextended themselves on mortgages or have taken the wrong course of study or maybe not finished and had a student loan, um, you know, be the millstone around their neck. Uh, but it's not the case that every debt is bad. I've sometimes heard it said, you know, debt is like fire. It's a, a useful servant, but a lethal master. 
So it's mm-hmm. when debt becomes the master in your life, that's when you need so, some help. But if debt is, is used properly, it can be something that can help serve to help you achieve your goals. Um, so that's one just, just off the top. Now, some of the other myths that I'm, I'm really excited to talk about, because a lot of these, um, some of our listeners might say, well, I thought the opposite was true. And I'll, I'll tell you, even myself, graduating from business school before I started to study to become a trustee, I thought the opposite was true of a bunch of these myths, like the first one here. Um, co-signing is a 50-50 split. So a lot of people say, you know, if you get somebody to co-sign on your debt, you know, the worst thing that would happen if there's one co-signer and one original borrower, okay, the bank's going to flip, it's going to split the debt 50-50. So when you're agreeing to co-sign for a $10,000 debt, your biggest exposure is half of that because there's two borrowers, $5,000. Sounds logical, completely wrong. What happens in Canada is co-signing is considered a joint and several liability, which means it's not 50-50 liability. It's actually 100-100, which means if the original borrower doesn't pay anything on that debt, even though you might be the only co-signer or one of a series of co-signers, every person that has co-signed that debt is able to be pursued for the full amount of the balance, the entire balance. Now, of course, the bank can't collect more than the debt that is owing. They have to stop once that's gotten paid. But could that be a situation where there's a significantly unfair outcome, meaning that the co-signer is pursued for everything and the original borrower doesn't pay anything? Yeah, that can and does happen. And you also need to be aware that certain agreements have what's called an acceleration clause that if the original borrower starts to miss some payments or default in the agreement in some way, um, the co-signer and the borrower could be on the hook for the entire loan right at that moment. So you might be asked to co-sign for a long-term loan. The person just needs, you know, get them over the hump to get that approval. They'll never miss a payment. You know, a few months in, the person's missed a few payments and suddenly that long-term loan is due and payable and it sits on the co-signer's shoulder as well. Um, So I definitely encourage people to consider, uh, think twice, think three times or even more before you co-sign and make sure you're comfortable that you could pay off 100% of this debt in the event that the original borrower doesn't do so. What about credit scores and history? That seems like something that's, well, for me, I know when before I started doing the show with you, completely d- misunderstood or didn't understand at all. And mm-hmm. I think it's pretty interesting when it, when you start talking about credits, credit scores and history and what they really mean and, and who, and who benefits from them the most. Yeah. And this is something, you know, every client asks about their credit score, their credit rating. And for good reason, you know, it's important that you understand how things work and how, you know, sometimes the downside of you restructuring your debt is that your credit rating takes a temporary hit. But let's talk about what a credit score and a credit rating is and how it was developed. What was developed by banks as a means of scoring their most profitable customers. So the people that make the most money for them and guess who makes the most money for banks? It's the people that carry high balances on their credit cards that every Every month, month in and month out, um, you know, pay that, pay just the interest, but just the minimum payment. So the next month, the bank makes more money. So it's quite possible to be in a very financially precarious situation, carrying a bunch of debts across a bunch of different credit cards. But if you're not missing payments, if you're making minimum payments all the time, you might actually have a pretty good credit score and credit rating. If you compare that to somebody who owns their house outright, who has you know income that they don't need to use credit at all, they might actually have a terrible credit score because the bank doesn't make any money off them. They don't have enough information to rate. 
So a lot of people view a credit score as the only metric that matters when it's talking about their financial health. And it breaks my heart sometimes when I can show people, you know, this consumer proposal would save, you know, $35,000 in this debt. It's going to have you out of debt in about three years where you're on the 30 year plan if you keep doing what you're doing. And they you know, sometimes email or, or tell me back, you know, I, I'd love to do this, but I just can't compromise my credit score. I worked so hard to get it so high. And sometimes I ask people, you know, well, what's a good credit score worth to you? Because it sounds like it's worth $35,000 to you here because you're not willing to settle to compromise your debts. And I don't think it should be worth that to anybody. And a lot of people have this view that if you have something negative happen to you on your credit report, it's there forever and you might never recover from it. And I think creditors purposely try to put these ideas into people's minds, you know, like a bankruptcy is a permanent mark on your credit. That's completely false. The worst that could happen to your credit, um, you know, something like a bankruptcy, it falls off six years after it's been completed. Everything on your credit report does expire. Everything negative expires. So it, it really is the case people can transform their credit rating in just a matter of a few short years. But a lot of people have the fear of doing that, of ever doing something that's going to impact their credit rating. And the downside is they just never move forward financially and just continue to be very profitable customers for the bank, but without any net worth of their own. So if you've been listening to Blair talk about these myths and misunderstandings and you realize that, oh, I was believing those uh, and you realize now that you need to take some action on 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 looking at your debt or uh, looking after it and you want to take some action. Here's the phone number to get a hold of Sands and Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030. What are some of the other common myths uh, that folks that come into your office have these days, Blair? Spouses are responsible for each other's debt is a huge one. So the old adage, you marry somebody, you marry your debt. If you marry someone with a bunch of credit card debt, those credit card companies can collect from both spouses. Sounds logical. A lot of people believe it completely false. There is nothing that makes one spouse liable for another spouse's debt, whether it's marriage or cohabitation or whatever. Um, there's nothing that creates a liability for a debt that is only in one spouse's name. So sometimes it happens that, you know, people get married, one spouse has a lot of assets, the other person has a lot of debt, and they decide, well, we're going to use all the family assets to pay down the debt because it's all joint anyway, and it just really isn't. So don't assume that just because a spouse owes something, that the other spouse automatically owes it unless it's something that you borrowed together. So you've taken on the loan together or you suddenly agreed to co-sign for one another. That's the only way that a debt becomes joint of a married couple. Now, there can be some cases where if a debt was incurred by one individual uh, in the relationship and that relationship breaks down, whether it's divorce or it's just a common law relationship where the people go their separate ways, one spouse can make a claim to the other saying, well, hey, I incurred all this debt for the family and I want you to pay half of it back to me, but that's different than, let's say, the debts owed to one of the big banks. That's different than a big bank suddenly having two pockets to dig into. They can still only pursue the person who actually borrowed the debt. They can't pursue the other spouse just because you're married. Okay. What about creditors going after you, uh, suing you for a debt that you've mm -hmm. got? Oh, and this one I love. You know, a lot of people know there's statute of limitations for various things. Not everybody knows there's a statute of limitations for debt. And what a statute of limitations means is that there's a period of time that if you owe somebody money, they can threaten to sue you for as long as they want to threaten to sue you. But if they don't take action within two years from the day of your last payment uh, or the day that th that was incurred or the day that you gave a written acknowledgement to say, yes, I owe this debt. If two years go by and you haven't paid, you haven't incurred anything more on the debt, 
debt and you haven't signed anything to say you're responsible, they lose the legal right to ever sue you for that debt in the province of BC. So if a creditor is phoning you up and it's a six-year-old debt and they're saying, we're going to be in court tomorrow taking your wages, uh, you could hang up the phone laughing and say, okay, I have at her guys because my defense will be one sentence and it'll be irrefutable saying this debt is statute barred based on the BC Limitations Act. So don't get scared about old debts. That two-year statute of limitations does apply. Now, where that doesn't apply is if you've already been sued by a debt, uh, that statute doesn't apply anymore. Uh, if there's arrears of child support or spousal support, I don't think anybody thinks you should be able to wait out those obligations just by waiting two years, and you can't. Um, and then finally, if there's any government debt, there is no statute of limitations on government debt. Uh, government debt just doesn't expire. Okay, and that includes the, or does that include this, the CERB overpayments and, and all of that, that the sort of the more recent uh, debt situation that pe situations people have found themselves in? Yeah, and that's a great lead into our, our next myth. You know, the myth is that government debts can't be forgiven. So people that are being asked to repay CERB or they might have income tax or GST debts, there are ways to restructure, um, to reduce, to eliminate that debt. So it's a myth is that you can't do anything with government debt. You can do two very powerful things. One is to consider a consumer proposal, which generally should be a first objective here because usually the government is very willing to restructure the debt as long as you're working with the trustee. And if that's not even possible or if it's just a huge amount of government debt that you couldn't afford even 20 cents on the dollar to repay, then a personal bankruptcy could also deal with government debt. Uh, just a quick question on the CERB overpayments. Have you been dealing uh, with folks, uh, lots of folks with, with that as being their main issue to come to coming to see you? I'd say every day we're seeing a client that at least has a CERB overpayment. And oftentimes it's not their only issue. It's, you know, just one of a suite sure. of other debts that they're handling because now there's a lot of payday loans, very high interest installment loans, but we're seeing definitely a ton of CERB overpayments. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one, well, I think we should, would be good to, to finish this segment off with is that idea that not filing means not a problem. Yeah. So when you're dealing with the government, I've heard it described that CRA are great box checkers. They are accountants and what they want to see is that you're being compliant. So if you think you owe the government money, don't think that you're pulling a fast one. They won't know about the debt if you don't file your taxes. If it goes on long enough, they'll file your taxes for you and then they'll start to freeze your bank account, start to take different actions against you. So even if you have a debt to the government, it's always worthwhile to file those returns to allow them to check that box that you're compliant and their collection activities and the, the amount of slack that they'll give you is going to be much higher than if you were just non-compliant with your filings. Okay. And I just want to remind folks, this is part one of part two, that we're talking about uh, these myths and misunderstandings about debt. And uh, also a reminder, of course, you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, where they help you get out of debt. Don't forget the website at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Part two of our myths and misunderstandings about debt and debt solutions uh, is your, a couple of questions we'll start off with. Is your advisor really qualified to give you debt advice? Hmm, that's a good one, especially if you're relying on internet sources. I would think that uh, not everybody has all the qualifications that you think they have. How about know how you can consolidate debt without paying interest? What bankruptcy will mean for future credit? Uh, we talked about debt myths. Now let's get to, uh, 
talking about the debt solutions and what and what we need to know and should know about getting debt help. Well, Blair, I know that you and your team of licensed insolvency trustees at Sands and Associates talk with people literally every day who are looking for advice, expertise, help, support in figuring out their situation. Can we talk about some common myths and misconceptions that that people may have around working with a debt help provider and and who those debt help providers are. But let's start with you guys, licensed mm-hmm. insolvency trustees. Yeah, so anyone who listens to our show knows that you know a licensed insolvency trustee is the only professional licensed and empowered by the federal government to help you get out of debt. Um, now, what's a myth about a licensed insolvency trustee is that a licensed insolvency trustee only works for your creditors. And sometimes you'll see that online. People will say, well, don't go to see an LIT. Um, they're an officer of the court. They're going to make sure um, you know that your creditors get the best deal and not you. But that's actually not correct at all. And that's a misinterpretation of the wording. So what it means to be an officer of the court is that we're neutral. So a licensed insolvency trustee does not work for your creditors. They've got a duty of care to all stakeholders within the insolvency system. And that includes you yourself as the individual who owes the money. So as much of a responsibility to the client um, as we would have to creditors, but our overall accountability is to the system. A licensed insolvency trustee's job is to help you use the law that was created to help you get out of debt and just to make sure the rules are followed, that everything is disclosed, that all the protection that you need and that you deserve um, happens, that you're creditors back off when they're required to back off, that the proposal is legally binding. So when you're working with a licensed insolvency trustee, it's an unbiased debt health professional. It's a licensed officer of the court who's got the power to help you restructure your debt. Uh, a couple other categories of professionals that you might see in your research or you might start to deal with, um, a credit counselor, and we talk a little bit about credit counselors on this show, um, a credit counselor is typically an informal advisor. So there's no legislation um, that forces a credit counselor you know, to take certain steps or, or to do things on a certain behalf. And what can be concerning is that a credit counselor is not necessarily neutral or legally bound to a code of ethics to you like a, like a trustee is. Uh, the challenge that I've seen in the past is Sometimes if someone goes to a credit counselor, a credit counselor is very explicit about their debt management plan, how it'll be great, it'll freeze the interest and help them move forward. Uh, but they really gloss over or even create you know, some fear about a consumer proposal, which actually might be a much better deal for the individual, but the credit counselor wouldn't make any money in that if they just have to refer the file off to a trustee. So not painting all credit counselors with the same brush. There are many credit counselors that if they know the best interest for someone is to do a proposal, they will send that work elsewhere. But you can imagine if they sent everyone that came to them to see a trustee, well, they wouldn't have a firm at the end of the day. So definitely, you know, exercise a little bit of your skepticism and understand a credit counselor might position their solution as superior to others, where that's not necessarily the case. Uh, the third category of professional and kind going in area of risk. So with a credit counselor, you know, be a little bit careful, ask the right questions, make sure you know what you're getting. Um, a debt consultant is someone that is typically going to be trafficking in those myths that I started with. There'll be someone that's going to say, well, don't go to see a licensed insolvency trustee. They work for your creditors. Come to see us and we'll represent you. We'll make sure you get the best deal from the trustee and we'll help you deal with the trustee and everything, so on and so forth. 
all of that comes with a cost. And sometimes I meet with individuals where they've paid three, four, even $4,500. And all that they've gotten is, you know, a few meetings to explain how a proposal works, and then an introduction to a trustee who can actually file the proposal. So from my perspective, you should never have to pay a dollar to sit down and talk about how a proposal works. It shouldn't cost you anything to figure out those options. And you definitely don't need a legal representative to get in between you and the trustee. The trustee is the neutral officer of the court who has a duty of care to you as well. So having another representative in there, it allows them to just charge fees, but not provide value. So definitely beware of that class of professional. So if you're thinking that, okay, I want to deal with Blair, I want to deal with a team of people like Blair at Sands and Associates, this is the phone number, 1-800-661-3030, and the website, sands-trustee.com. They have offices all over British Columbia, so you're really well looked after in that regard. And uh, and they do more... Um, more than just, you know, facilitate a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. Uh, they've also just got so much good information for you, for you to be able to figure out with them what your next best step is. So, uh, that, again, the phone number is 1-800-661-3030. So can you separate some facts versus fiction when it comes to different debt management options? What, what folks are faced with when they start talking about these things? Yeah, and I know we got a few of them here, so I'll try to be as concise as I can because I think there's really good insights here for our listeners. So a few areas of confusion. Uh, one thing I hear a lot is that debt consolidation means borrowing. The only way to consolidate your debt is to go to the banks, borrow some more money, and pay everybody off. That might be what's the most typical way, but a consumer proposal allows you to consolidate all of your debt, pay zero interest, and pay back what you can afford to repay. So quite often a consolidation loan sounds great, but you still have to pay back all of the debt, you still have to pay interest, and it might be difficult to qualify for. A consumer proposal allows you to achieve that consolidation without having to have a credit rating, co-signer, and without having to pay everything back in full. Uh, another myth that we see is all my debt can be managed with a credit counseling plan. Well, that could be true if you only owe things like a credit card, maybe a line of credit, maybe an overdraft. But as soon as you get to a situation where you owe any government body money, whether it's ICBC or maybe some old MSP debt, government things like income tax, GST, CERB overpayments, anything owing to the government, a credit counselor cannot help you one bit with. The government does not recognize, does not work with anyone other than a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, another myth that I see in this one, um, you know, as much as we try to communicate, here's how a proposal works and it costs you nothing up front to file it, I still see information on the internet that people say, you know, it costs $1,500 up front to file a consumer proposal. And sometimes this information is posted by people who can't file proposals and want you to consider their solution because, hey, $1,500 is a big barrier to entry. I can tell you at Sands & Associates, we have never asked anybody for $1,500 up front to file a consumer proposal. In fact, it costs you $0 up front to file a consumer proposal. Where the $1,500 comes from is the government tariff that governs proposals says the first $1,500 the trustee collects is allowed to be retained for cost of administration before the debts start to get repaid back. So I don't know of any trustees that require $1,500 up front, and certainly Sands & Associates is not one of them, but when you file a consumer proposal, all you have to do is be prepared to make that monthly payment, whatever it is that fits into your budget. There's no $1,500 invoice you'll ever receive from a trustee. Um, I think one of the last myths here um, is about 
credit counseling and how it can wreck your credit forever. And that's actually a myth. So when you do either credit counseling or even a consumer proposal, it's less severe than a bankruptcy would be. And both credit counseling and consumer proposals clear off your record the earlier of six years from the day you sign them or two to three years after they're paid off. So there's no permanent impact of you doing a proposal or working with a credit counselor. You can move forward and rebuild that credit for sure. And Blair, in the last minute minute that we've got, um, can we go to the the part where you talk about, um, I don't know, just all the good reasons why it's such a good idea to go and see somebody at Sands and Associates, uh, especially about the non-judgmental part of it. I mean, you sort of touched on it about mm-hmm. the fees, and and there's just so much more to it than just that. Yeah, we always run out of time because there's so many different avenues you can go down, but it's all coming back to you just need to get the help of a supportive professional. When you reach out to Sands and Associates, it's a friendly team of non-judgmental licensed insolvency trustees and qualified estate managers. Uh, we're all regular people. We live in the local communities here. We're here to just help people get a fresh start. A free consultation is a non-judgmental, confidential, commitment-free experience. It's just a simple meeting. Often it's 30 to 60 minutes and guaranteed you're going to learn something during that meeting. Even if we don't have the solution for you, you're going to come away being that much better informed about what you can do and perhaps be a resource for others. If you want to get started with Sands and Associates, their number is 1-800-661-3030, or you can visit the website sands-trustee.com and book your free confidential debt consultation that way. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. Let's talk about the best way to consolidate debt. Understanding and comparing the different solutions and the cost for consolidating. Debt consolidation can offer lots of advantages. We talk about them often in our various segments, which all help to pay off your debt. But you need to find the consolidation option that's best for your situation. And that's what Blair's going to do. is going to explain some common options for debt consolidation, their pros, their cons, and the costs involved. So what How would debt consolidation be a solution to help me better deal with debt, Blair? I mean, is there, is there, is, is there a right answer to that? Well, you know, in general, there's some real advantages to try to consolidate your debt, and there's different ways that you can achieve debt consolidation. We're going to talk today about what people normally think about, you know, typical borrowing options for consolidating, but there's also non-borrowing options that people may not be aware of. But regardless of those options, the advantages to consolidating your debt typically are that you're organizing several different payments into one simple monthly payment. So you're simplifying your life a little bit, less things to keep track of. Uh, You're taking the guesswork out of calculating your monthly payment amount. So if you've got a bunch of accounts, you know, you can try to pay the minimums or where do you put more money. If you've just got one consolidated account to deal with all of your debt, it's much more, again, simple. Um, What you can do with certain options for consolidating is cutting the cost of borrowing by reducing or eliminating the interest rate on the consolidated debt. The idea of consolidation is that when you put everything together into a single payment, in total you're paying less interest charges than you would be paying if you continued to pay all the debts separately. And then finally, you can get a really clear schedule. When you consolidate your debt, typically it's for a specified period of time, um, and you're going to pay that down to zero and hopefully move on and be debt-free at that point. Okay. So can you talk about the different types of debt consolidation that's available in BC? And I love the fact that there's some non-borrowing ones as well. 
Yeah, so in terms of the borrowing options for debt consolidation, you know, there's a couple things to go through. And in terms of non-borrowing options, these are things that we can help with, with Zans and Associates. So we're going to talk about each of those things. Uh, in terms of borrowing options, you know, typically this is what most people anticipate when we talk about debt consolidation, is you take out a basic personal loan to pay off multiple balances, and you roll the debt into a new loan with a fixed payment schedule. So you might have had five credit cards at various interest rates. Now you've got a single loan at a lower interest rate, one payment per month or every two weeks or whatever, but it's simplified and it saved you a bit of money. Um, sometimes people use a line of credit as well to cover debts that you'll repay over time. Now, with a line of credit, it's often different that there's not a specified term of when that's going to get paid down to zero. So sometimes, and especially if you're a homeowner, I've definitely seen this where people consolidate their debt, they have a homeowner's line of credit, and then all they do is pay interest on that over time. They don't actually draw down the principal. So if you do take an option for consolidation, that, in, it, it, that involves borrowing, you want to make sure you've got some end date where you're not going to owe that balance anymore. Uh, some of the advantages of when you borrow to consolidate is that hopefully you're going to free up some room in your budget because the interest charge is going to be less than what you were otherwise paying. Um, and then again, hopefully you'll have that simplification. But some of the drawbacks to be aware of, and we talk about this uh, quite often, is a consolidation loan sounds great if you can get it. And the vast majority of individuals, unless you've got a major asset that you can pledge as collateral, unless you're willing to bring in a cosigner, which we almost always recommend against, it's not wise to cosign debt. In very, very few situations does it make sense, and I haven't seen many of those. So unless you're willing to pledge an asset or a cosigner, a lot of the times you won't be able to be approved for that consolidation loan. You know, in sometimes you'll be able to be approved, but the interest rate might not be a significant reduction or might be no reduction at all. So just be very careful that cost of borrowing absolutely matters, um, and it can make a big difference on how long you take the term out for. So if you were doing a loan for three years as opposed to five years, you know, let's give an example. If you were trying to consolidate total debt at 25000 and you had it on really high interest credit cards, you were able to bring it down uh, to 18%. Oh, sorry, if you were at 18% now uh, at $25,000 of debt, your monthly payments would be $630, and to pay off the debt over five years, you would have paid about 13 thousand dollars of interest. For most consolidation loans, you'd be aiming for an interest rate maybe in the range of 12%. Well, in those cases, if you paid it off over 60 months, you'd be down to $555 a month and you would only pay $8,400 of interest. So definitely saving some money. Uh, but if you're able to pay it off in three years, well, your interest charge goes to $4,900. So it makes a big difference if you're able to pay off a consolidation loan early. Uh, but again, the bigger issue that we've seen is most people can't qualify for these types of loans, or often if they do qualify for them, it really takes financial discipline to stop using the credit cards that got you into this situation, because when you consolidate, those credit cards are now back to zero, and it can be really tempting to start to use them. And if you haven't fixed your budget, you can be in a situation where you've got this consolidation loan, and now you've also got these credit balances that are back up to where they were before. I just want to throw in the Sands and Associates uh, website, too, uh, just in case somebody is wanting more information or, or how to reach you as well. So it's sands-trustee.com and the phone number, 1-800-661-3030. And, and it has such good information on the website, too. Uh, and it further explains so many things because it is confusing, right, Blair? I mean, there's a lot of 
I don't know. I find whenever I get into trouble over something, it's usually because I, I don't understand all the pieces of it. And, and finances and things are so loaded for folks with, um, you know, with baggage and stuff that it's, it can be confusing and hard to get. Oh, absolutely. Anything dealing with finances it can be emotionally wrought, and especially if you're talking about co-signers and, um, you know, letting people down that you can't pay back, you know, it can be very difficult to actually get some really clear guidance. That's why it's so important you deal with a licensed insolvency trustee. So can we talk about the solutions for debt consolidation without borrowing? Yeah, there's a couple of options, and I know we're running a little tight on time, but a couple of things. You know, one is you could work with a credit counselor, and the way a credit counselor would work is they'd be able to typically freeze your interest so you wouldn't pay any new charges on your basic credit card debt. They couldn't help with taxes or student loans or anything like that. Um, but actually getting your interest down to zero, well, that can be sometimes all that a person needs. And the way a credit counseling plan is structured is by law, it can't extend any longer than five years. So the, the maximum time you'll be paying off a consolidated amount in a credit counseling plan is five years. But you have to be careful uh, because a credit counseling plan might not be your best option. You have to be aware of all the fees that are being charged. You have to be aware of the credit rating impact as well because even though you're just getting an interest freeze on the debt, your credit rating is actually going to take the same hit than if you had gotten a significant reduction in the debt by working with a licensed insolvency trustee. So I definitely encourage people to explore all of their options, but really be alive to the fees that you might have to pay um, and to the fact that a credit counselor could only save you the interest. They couldn't actually reduce the amount of principal that you owe on the debt. So if you've got a little bit of a solution for folks to try to figure out their their next uh, their their next step on this, uh, I'm thinking about the rule of sixty. is is such a I love I love it when you talk about that. I just think it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's a pretty common sense way of just thinking, you know, well, do I have a debt problem or not? So if you were to take all of your non-mortgage debt, um, you know, your credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, and things like that, add it up into one and then divide it by 60 and see what that tells you. So if it's $24,000 of debt and you divided it by 60 months, well, that's $400. That's the idea. If interest charges were at zero and nothing else was on top of that, could you pay $400 a month for the next five years to clear this debt? A lot of people that do that analysis, they say, well, no, I'm barely affording, you know, to make ends meet. I'm going into debt every month. So that's a good indication that if you couldn't pay off your debt in 60 equal payments, you need the help of a licensed insolvency trustee. The consolidation offer that we can do is called a consumer proposal, um, and it's life-changing. So talking about this $25,000 debt, a consumer proposal, you might repay just 30 cents in the dollar, so somewhere around $7,500. Your monthly payment might be $125 a month uh, over 60 months. That would compared to, you know, 400 to 600 even $800, depending on the term and the interest rates, if you were to do a borrowing consolidation option. So almost always a consumer proposal will be your cheapest and quickest way to consolidate your debt. And how to access that would be sans-trustee.com or give them a phone call at 1-800-661-3030, toll-free in British Columbia. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.